Chapter 2 of James, chapter 2, and I want us to immediately uh, read our text this morning. I'm not going to read all of it, just a few verses, and I want you to keep your Bibles open this morning as I'll be referring to the entire text. If you're physically able to do so, why don't you stand with me as we read the first uh, few verses here in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James writes, and he says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, If someone says that he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, Lord, would you take my study, my thoughts, my words, my mind, and all of me, Father, and would you use that tonight, today, as we gather in this place for worship and for your word, would you speak through me, Lord, and would you take your word along with your Holy Spirit, would you minister to our hearts with it, would you challenge us, and would you bring conviction to us, and Father, would you cause us to be changed because of the living word, the word of truth, and Father, right now, We are listening, so we ask you to speak in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, I'm convinced that one of the things that the devil wants to do is confuse you about the whole matter of what living, functional faith is, and that would make sense because the Bible calls him the author of confusion, and the believers that James is writing to, they were confused at best. And at worst, they were purposely negligent when it came to living out their faith, demonstrating the reality of their faith. Now, I do want to reiterate something as I begin. I said this last week. I want to say it again. And that is that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Uh, It's grace plus nothing. But the devil loves to create confusion. He loves to create turmoil in our souls in order to plant seeds of doubt, and it's all for the purpose of undermining our fellowship and our friendship with God. And with that in mind this morning, what I want to do is I want to pick up talking about what we called a functional faith. Now, one thing that we've already learned about James is that he's a straight shooter, and he tells it like it is. And in this case, what James is doing is he's confronting a lie, a lie that had been perpetrated within the church, and a lie that taught that because a person is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, that their works are just irrelevant and mean nothing about their faith. That's a lie. James is confronting that lie uh, because some believers were hiding behind that lie in order to shirk their responsibilities of service to the Lord and to uh, the kingdom of God and in order to... uh, uh, be irresponsible with Christian obedience. I read a quote from a comedian, Louis C.K. I've never heard of him, but I thought his quote was pretty interesting. He said this, he said, I have lots of beliefs, but I live by none of them. That's just the way I am. They're just my beliefs. I just like believing them. I like that part. They're my little believies. They make me feel good about who I am. But if they happen to get in the way of something that I want to do, well, I just ignore them. You know, I think that kind of captures the spirit of the age, isn't it? We have a lot of beliefs, 
And uh, I don't mind living my beliefs as long as they don't get in the way of what I really want to do or how I really want to behave or how I really want to live. But the fact is, beliefs are useless if they do not affect the way we live. And it is this kind of useless faith that James is addressing. Now, last week, we looked at the first point on your outline. You see it there. And let me review that with you real quickly. The first thing that James does in this passage of Scripture that we've taken as our text is to define real, functional faith. And so last week, we talked about the first point, the clarification of faith. And James clarifies what he's talking about, about living faith, by showing us the three kinds of faith. He expresses, one, that there is a dead faith. You remember that? That's a faith with no evidence. It's a, a confession without a real possession spiritually. And then he talked about demonic faith, a faith that is only intellectual. He said the demons believe, right? Uh, but they shudder. In fact, his, it's a really kind of a jab at Christians to say at least the demons have enough sense to shudder. But they believe intellectually. They have no personal relationship with Jesus. That's demonic faith, intellectual faith alone. And then he speaks of dynamic faith. That faith is the faith that is active. It is the kind of faith that should characterize uh, those who confess to know Christ. It is a faith that is demonstrated in both our behavior and our obedience uh, to God. And to help us understand this dynamic faith, I want us to look at the second point because James helps us uh, get what he's talking about with the illustration of faith. Verses 21 to 23, in fact, look at those with me in your Bible. He says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed uh, by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God, and look at this, it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. And then if you look on down in verse 25, he, he points to another illustration that we'll look at. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James is helping us understand what he's talking about when he, he wants us to get what living faith is or what works that are the result of saving faith, what does that look like? And he pulls out two great illustrations. The first, of course, is the illustration of uh, Abraham. Abraham is the perfect illustration, he says, of a man who believed God and that belief resulted in works and those works validated the fact that he was a friend of God. That's how the scripture says it. So Abraham is an illustration of faith. Don't miss this. It goes beyond our understanding. You say, how is that? Well, it's because of what his faith required of him in that setting. You know the story, don't you? The story of uh, Abraham and Isaac. God, in, God told uh, Abraham that I'm going to bless all the nations uh, through you and through your seed. And uh, Abraham said, uh, well, that's going to be kind of tough. I'm an old man. I don't have any, any sons. I don't have uh, uh, any way to pass on the legacy. And uh, God said, trust me. And then so you know the story. God gave him Isaac. Um, by the way, Abraham tried to help God out at first. And we have a Middle East conflict because of that. Did you know that? What you're seeing going on in the world is the eventual fruit of what happened when Abraham tried to help God out and birthed a son named Ishmael. 
and the Bible says would be a wild beast of a man. And so, um, so uh, uh, Abraham tried to help. God said, I got a better way. I'm going to do a miracle. Sarah laughed about it, but God did it. And he gave him a son. That son was Isaac. And he said, through Isaac, I'm going to bless your seed. I'm going to build. It really, he said, I'm going to bless the whole world through your son Isaac. And then there came this time when Isaac was young that, um, that God spoke to him and said, Now, Abraham, I want you to take this son, this only son of yours, this son of the promise. Now, God had given him a word, right? Spoken to him and said, Isaac is going to be the, the key. Then he comes back and he says, now I want you to take Isaac and I want you to offer him on the altar for me. I want you to sacrifice him for me. That is, and Abraham begins the journey. He didn't try to explain it all to Isaac. In fact, you know the great line when he got there to the place of sacrifice and, and uh, Isaac, can you imagine that little boy said, Daddy, said, um, there's the altar and there's the fire, but where is the sacrifice? Man, how would you like to answer that? I look at those two grandboys I got, and I think, Lord, how, how, would, you, how would you do that? Just say, hey, hey, son, it's going to be all right. This is what he did. God will provide himself a sacrifice. Well, you know he did. The amazing thing is, and then God said, by the way, it says it was a test. It says it was a test all along from the very end. Then God tested Abraham, the Scripture says. He passed the test, wouldn't you say, class? And so uh, uh, the, the amazing part of the story and why it is referenced here is because Abraham demonstrated a faith that transcended his understanding. Uh, by the way, he didn't debate with God. And God said, because I know that you can be trusted, I will fulfill the promises to you. And you know, of course, Isaac was spared. But Abraham is an illustration of faith that goes beyond our comprehension, our understanding. Sometimes faith in action means that you're going to have to go beyond your understanding. That you're going to have to trust God beyond what you can see. In fact, the truth is, I think you'd agree with this, that it doesn't require much faith if you can see how it all works out, does it? So faith really means that I've got to trust God oftentimes beyond my capacity to, under, to understand. I told you that one of my favorite lines, C.S. Lewis, is to all of those who say, well, one day when I get to heaven, I heard a man say this this past week about another matter. He said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about something. First of all, that's very presumptuous on his part. But anyway, he said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God uh, this uh, or, or, or that. Listen, I want to tell you something. We walk by faith, not by sight. C.S. Lewis said this, there, there won't be, that question's not going to be asked in heaven. God, I, I'm so glad. I, God, you got a minute? There's some things I've been wanting to ask you about. That's not going to happen. C.S. Lewis, the literary genius believer, said this. He said, the first thing we're going to probably say is, oh, <laughs> now I see. Now I, get, I didn't get it down there, but I get it here. So we trust him. We trust him. We have to trust God beyond our understanding. A.W. Tozer said this, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. God is looking for Abraham was one of those. Abraham's willingness to offer up Isaac did not logically make sense because Isaac was the means by which God had promised to bless Abraham and his offspring. But the greatest demonstration of your faith is when you trust God and it doesn't make sense 
In fact, it may even appear contrary to common sense. Sometimes it appears contrary to common sense. Look, the Bible's full of examples. How about Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego? How about Esther, Joshua, Joshua, Caleb, and of course Abraham right here? And some might say, well, that's blind faith, saying just trust God beyond what you can understand. It's not blind faith at all because I'm trusting a God. I'm trust- God is the object of my faith. And the promise or the word God has given me, that, that means that I trust that. It's not blind faith. A lot of folks who've served in the military, and we have a lot in this congregation, and a lot of those of you who are joining us by television or listening on radio or live stream, we have a lot of military folks in this community and in this congregation. And many of those who have served in the military know about this matter of traveling under sealed orders. You've heard that phrase before, haven't you? And that is, uh, your, your orders are, are private, you travel under these orders, and they instruct you to maybe fly to this place, and then maybe take a boat to this place, or, uh, and then you open the orders, and they tell you where to go next. From here, go here, and here. Well, that's the way Abraham lived. There's this occasion where God tells Abraham, do you remember this? God says, I want you to get up, I want you to pack up, and I want you to take your family this way, go that way. And they didn't have GPS. Well, maybe they did, God's positioning satellite, you know. But they, they didn't have, the, the, so Abraham doesn't say, now, now wait a minute, you need to tell me where that is. How about tomorrow morning, um, ladies, if your husband got up and said, hey, pack up, we're headed, we're headed out. You would say, well, where are we going? I don't know. Just pack it all up, here we go. Yeah, you just, you probably would, I, my, my marriage counseling would go up. My husband's lost his mind. You know, you wouldn't say, well, I just blind loyalty. I'm just going to trust him regardless. The fact is, God said to Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to go this way. Here's the direction. You just head that direction. Where am I going on? I'll show you when you get there. You see, that's trusting beyond understanding. Then the second illustration that we get here. Uh, to affirm this matter of faith and uh, that produces works is Rahab. Rahab is an illustration. If Abraham is an illustration of trusting God beyond your understanding, Rahab is an illustration of a faith that is displayed by our obedient adjustment. You see, Abraham already had a relationship with God. He already uh, trusted, uh, had trusted God. But Rahab, she, she only knew about God. But it was when the, the messengers came and they were uh, spying out the land. You remember that? And, and in that moment, the Bible teaches us that Rahab believed and she believed their message about God and who he was. And what did she do? She adjusted her life accordingly. Immediately, she adjusted. She displayed faith in the, the message that was delivered. Faith again in the word that God delivered to her through the messengers. And she adjusted immediately. Her faith transformed her, caused her to reorient her life to the plans of God. Her activity in doing so proved that by faith she had been transformed. She now believed in God. It showed in her behavior. Now you can say that you trust God. You can say that you trust God's Word. But the proof is that you adjust your life accordingly, right? Would you agree with that? Rahab did exactly that. Abraham did that. And and their faith teaches us a couple of things. Number one, it teaches us this. When you believe the truth, then adjust your life to it. 
Don't say, well, I believe it, but. We hear that every day, don't we? Don't we? Well, I believe. How many times do we hear it out there today? Even among Christians who say, well, I believe the Word of God. Well, are you, have you adjusted your life to it? Are you living according to it? Or have you just, uh, are you just kind of like the comedian? I, I have a lot of believies. I, I believe. But now when it impacts what I really want to do, well, then I don't do it. When you, when you believe the truth, adjust your life to it. That's the first thing we get from them. The second thing we get from Abraham and Rahab is that when you uh, not just believe the truth, but when you receive the truth, respond, listen, immediately. Don't just say, I believe it. Okay, I believe it. Then if you believe it, respond immediately. You remember on a couple of occasions that Jesus was passing by and it said that people came to him and they said, we want to be your disciple, we want to be your follower. You remember those stories? Jesus said, okay, then come on, follow me. Uh, well, I, I didn't mean right now. I, I've, got, I, I've got family I've got to take care of, and eventually I will, I will come and follow you. Or I'm plowing this field. Let me finish plowing this field, and I'll come follow you. And Jesus said, he that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. What was he saying? Listen, he was saying, if you want to follow me and you understand the message, follow me now, right now. One of the things I love about Peter and John, they were fishing and, and uh, Jesus came by, and you remember that? And he said to them, he said, come and follow me. They didn't really know who Jesus was. And it says this, you go back and read the story, it says this, and immediately they left their nets. Well, we got to wash these nets up. We, you know, we got, we got fish, we got to process, and that sort of, immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. When you receive the truth, respond immediately believe and adjust, and then do so immediately. That's what fu functional faith looks like. But then here's a third thing that I want you to see that James gives us in this whole matter of functional faith, and that is the justification by faith. Verses 23 and 24, again, it tells us that they were justified and made righteous by their faith. Now, I want you to see something. I want you to see something. Uh, sometimes we say, well, that's when Abraham was saved. That's when Abraham was, just, he believed, he obeyed the word of God by faith. He, he uh, uh, acted on that word and, that, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I want you to go, now look, hold your place there in James, but go all the way back to the first book of the Bible. Go back to uh, Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you something. Genesis chapter 15. This is... Um, God's covenant with Abraham, chapter 15, is about the covenant that God makes, you know, to bless him and make him the father of a great nation. And that, this is about that covenant. It is the promise that God uh, makes to him. And he promises your offspring here will be more than, the, than you can number and the, uh, the stars of the, the uh, sky, that sort of thing. Um, and then he said this, look at the, the end of... of uh, Verse 5, and then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, so here's the operative verse. And he believed, that is, Abraham believed the Lord, and look at this, it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, this was 30 years before he offered Isaac. 30 years before the story that is referred to in uh, James here where Abraham took Isaac 
to the altar. It says in verse 6, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's when he was justified by faith. What was he putting his faith in? The promise of the Messiah to come. The promise that was to come. By faith, he trusted in the promise of a coming Messiah. That's when he was saved. Though we, we can't see inside Abraham's heart, we don't know what was going on at the time, but he was trusting and tr- he was saved by trusting in the promise of the, the Messiah that would come through this lineage that he's just been promised. Then these 30 years transpire and Abraham brings Isaac to the altar. That's not when he got saved. That's simply when he showed that he had been saved. You get it? So we see his faith on display. We see his faith on display. Abraham's willingness, you see, to offer Isaac did not save him. It was not the means of his salvation. It was the mark of his salvation. Do you get it? It was not the root of his salvation. It was the fruit of his salvation. You see, faith's not, faith is not manufactured by works. I want to keep reiterating that. But faith is manifested by works. So here are a couple of takeaways from that. Number one, faith is a result of believing what God says. Faith is a result. How do we know that? Well, it's reiterated throughout the Scripture. Actually, Romans 10, 17 is a quote from uh, Scripture that says, So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the Word of God. The Word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. Faith is a result of believing what God says. The Word of the Lord in Genesis 15, we were just there, Genesis 15, 1. You know how that chapter starts? The Word of the Lord came to Abraham. The Word of the Lord came to Abraham. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. A functional faith all starts with the Word of God. What does God say? What does God say? It doesn't start with your feelings. You're not justified by your emotions. Emotions are good. Feelings are good. You're not saved by your feelings. You're uh, You're not justified through your emotions. Well, they got all worked up. I've seen a lot of people that got all worked up about God and quickly became unworked. It's not about that. It doesn't start with your feelings. It's okay to have them, but you're not justified by them. It is God's Word that enables you to believe. It is the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God in your heart that causes you to believe. And that leads me to the second thing I want want you to, to take away from that, and that is obedience is the product of faith. Faith is a result of believing what God says, and obedience is the product of that faith. How do we know that? Well, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You know, that passage is on the hills of where uh, Jesus says, uh, Build your house on the rock. Build your house on the rock. He says, And a person who says, Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what what." Uh, God has told him to do what Christ has said. Jesus said is like a person that builds his house on the sand. So Jesus says to us, look, if you you 
believe me, then do what I say. Don't call me Lord if you're not going to behave consistent with what I've told you to do. So faith is a result of believing what God says, and obedience is the product of that faith. Abraham responded to what God said because he trusted the word of God that came to him, and thus he became a doer and not just a hearer only, as we talked about previously. Right? So your works don't bring faith, but your Faith in God's Word should result in works of righteousness. But there's one final thing I want to show you this morning, and that is the validation of faith. Verse 26, look at verse 26, okay? We didn't read it this morning, but this is what James writes. For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is all about the validation of faith. And one definition that I read, I like this definition, is that faith is simply belief with legs on it. Isn't that good? Faith is simply belief with legs on it. Faith, we can speak sometimes of the faith as kind of identifying, you know, we are, this is our faith as a noun. But most of the time, do you know the Bible uses faith as a verb? It's some action involved. It's what you're doing. And that's the case here, that he's validating our faith with our, our deeds, with our behavior It's our belief with legs. I like that. Because this whole book, as I told you from the beginning, when we began uh, working through it, is about living the faith and and the validation of genuine faith. James continues, and we'll continue to see that throughout this book. That's a functional faith. That's faith in action. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan, isn't it? That's the story of of Peter stepping out onto the water. You remember that story? That's faith in action. Amen? Now you say, yeah, but he sunk. He's the only one that got out of the boat. (laughs) And he did walk a little, right? That's faith in action. Lord, because you say it, I'll do it. There's the story of Daniel. That's faith in action. We trust the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faith in action. Remember, they said, even if you slay us, we're not going to bend a knee because we trust in the Lord our God. We're trusting in Him. And He can deliver us if He wishes to, but He may not. And it's okay with us either. By the way, just a footnote. Have you ever got to the place where you say, Lord, you can deliver me or, or not, but either way, it doesn't change my loyalty. I'm with you, God. Either way, one way or the other, God, I I trust you, and and I have faith in you. That's faith in action. It's the story of Noah. Faith in action. Noah, build a boat. God, what's a boat? It's this long, square thing. Build it. I'll tell you how to build it. And then fill it up with animals. Why is that, Lord? Because I'm going to destroy the world. How are you going to do that, Lord? With rain. Lord, what's rain? Just hang on. Trust me. You'll be ready. When others scoffed at him, he kept building. Right? He just kept on. But this is what God has told me to do. So I'm going to keep building this thing. Even if the world around me doesn't understand. Even if they scoff. 
By the way, that's why Jesus said in the last days, and by the way, all our antennas are up right now. In the last days, it'll be like the days of what class? Noah. What, what the point of that is that, you know, people will just kind of, they'll just keep doing their thing and just say, as long as it doesn't touch me, but it will. At some point in time, it will. It always does. It always has. And so Noah's building this. He's, he's under the harassment of people, making fun of him and laughing at him. And he builds this ark, faith in action. It's a story of Abraham and Rahab. Abraham, go to a land. You don't have to understand it. I'll just go. Abraham, offer the, the son of the promise, you know, that will be the lineage of the Messiah. You sacrifice him. It's faith in action. Rahab, these people that are coming, these men are men of God. Listen to what they say. Listen to who their God is. Put your trust in Him and you will be delivered. And she was delivered. Abraham and Rahab, they're the illustrations that He gives to us. And that should be your story too. Your story too. Faith in action. Living faith. Faith that's functional. Now, in the age that you and I are now living, it's not so uncommon to hear people say, well, some people have faith and some don't. Or if I don't believe, it's not my fault. I just don't have it. But listen, listen. If you don't believe, it is your fault. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, beware lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. If you don't believe, it is your fault. I like what uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers said. I heard him say some years ago, he said, unbelief never comes out of the head, it comes out of the heart. It's not an intellectual or mental thing. It's a moral thing. It's a spiritual thing. You say, well, I know some intellectuals who don't believe. Well, I know some intellectuals who do. You say, well, I know some ignorant people who believe. Well, I know some ignorant people who don't. You see, what we believe is not contrary to reason. It just goes beyond it. And what I'm saying and what James is saying to you this morning is this, that what validates our faith is our active obedience. A functional faith is a displayed faith. There are no such thing as 007 Christians. Secret agent Christians. You'll never know because I will not display it. I won't talk about it. By the way, listen to me. In the, in the years ahead, should Jesus tarry, it's going to become harder and harder for you to display your faith. There will be a separating. I think it's already happening. I think we're already seeing it. And I mean in the church. There will be a separation James is trying to say you can't hide your faith. 
Now, there are people who hear God's Word and uh, they, choose to, they choose to debate God's Word. A person uh, will sometimes take God's Word and they'll run it through kind of a mental courtroom of their mind and they'll say, well, I agree with that, and, but I don't necessarily agree with that, so I'm going to adjust my life to what I agree with and I'm going to discard what I, I don't agree with. But hear this, if that's who you are, if that's where you are, If you do not agree with the Word of God, it is not because you cannot. It is because you will not. And if you will not believe, that still does not negate the Word of God. And by the way, if you will not believe, it doesn't release you from your accountability for it. And here's an important thing to note, though. God is a loving, gracious God. And do you know God will not force you to believe? He will not make you believe. He loves you. He sent His Son for you to die for you. And He offers you eternity in heaven, but He will not make you accept that offer. Many years ago, I went to visit a young man in his early 20s. When I arrived at his house, he and several of his friends were outside. They were sitting on a porch and, and milling about in, off the front porch and and uh, they were cutting up, and they were drinking, and just hanging out. And I got out of my car, and I approached the particular young man that I'd come to visit, and uh, he recognized that I was the preacher. And I introduced myself. He said, yeah, he said, I, I know who you are. You're, you're my mother's preacher. He said emphatically and kind of sarcastically. And then he added, I bet my mom asked you to come talk to me, didn't she? And I answered, I said, well, yes, she did. And I said, she did that, though, because she loves you and she's concerned about your spiritual condition. To which, and his buddies were all there and they were kind of listening about, and I have to tell you, it's a little intimidating. And, uh, but he knew that they were all listening. I said, she loves you, she's concerned, and I, I just wanted to talk to you about those things. To which he replied something like this, all right, preacher, Y'all just quit worrying about me. And then he laughed, and he's saying this loud enough so his buddies can hear this, and he he laughed at, at, at me, and then in front of his friends he added this, I know that I'm going to hell, and it's okay with me. And he kind of looked around at his buddies and grinned, and he said, because all of my friends are going to hell too. And when we get there, it's going to be one big party. I restrain myself from using a Greek word, you're stupid. But I said to him, I said, I think when you realize it's not going to be a party, it's going to be too late. And I said, but uh, I said, all right. I said, I won't bother you anymore. Uh, seems like you've made your decision and you've chosen your destination. He's kind of grinning and nodding like that. But I said, I do want uh, you to know that uh, for the record's sake, I didn't come here to debate with you or to guilt you into anything. And then I said this, I've only done this one other time. I've told you that story, but I've only done this one other time. But I said, the fact is, and I said, you need to know this, I'm not here to put a notch on my belt to say, hmm, another one for God. 
I said, the fact is, it's no skin off my back if you die right now and go straight to hell. I said, because my eternity is secure, I just wanted to offer you a better way. But don't worry, I won't be back. You say, well, Pastor, that seems kind of harsh. Well, now, listen, I didn't say it harshly. I said it very calmly and kindly. I did say it matter-of-factly. But listen to me. Hell is real. Hell is harsh. And no one should go there since they don't have to. No one should go there. And you know, it can't be taken lightly. By the way, we're not hearing the word hell much anymore, are we? Because it offends the sensibilities of everybody. God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. Hell, oh, let's just talk about heaven. I'm for heaven. (laughs) I got a ticket. But friends, we're doing people a disjustice, an injustice if we don't say, do you understand the harshness of hell? That hell is real and it must not be taken lightly because you don't get a mulligan. Y'all know what a mulligan is? You know what a mulligan is? It's an Irish golf term. It's a form of, it's an organized form of cheating in golf. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a group of preachers I play with and we apply that rule, the mulligan rule. But you don't get a mulligan in this life. It's a do-over. It means if you didn't like what you did, you can do it over. Folks, without Christ, when you get on the other side, without Christ, you're not going to like what you find. But you can't go do it over. It's too late. So this morning, can I... Just say to you, those who are watching, joining us, television, live stream, radio, here in this audience, can I just say this to you? If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, meet Him. Don't go to hell. Because you don't have to. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to righteousness, and many there be who find it, but all who do, Find life for all eternity. You say, well, that's, you just said it's pretty narrow. It's narrowed only to those who will accept. If you'll accept, you get on the narrow path. And the Scripture says, behold, today is the day of salvation. So if you don't know, if you're not sure, if you don't know Him, will you put your trust Will you trust your eternal soul to Jesus Christ? Do it today. Put your faith in Him. He is your only hope. Did you hear a little Brooklyn's confession? Did y'all get that, didn't you? I love that. I love that. Not only is He my Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And by the way, that's your real confession. Baptism doesn't save you, but it's your confession before the world. That's why we say, that's why Jesus commanded us to be baptized. But it's a confession. And then she added this, and I will follow him with my life forever. This is why I I told Bruce back there, I said, that's why Jesus said, let the little children come. Because they get it. 
here I am. I'm yours and you are mine, and I will follow you for the rest of my life. When's the last time you said that? I will follow you for the rest of my life. I'll follow you for the rest of my life. When I'm in the, in the water, you'll be there. When I walk through the fire, you'll be there. The fire may be there, the water may be there, the storms will be there, but guess what? So will Jesus, and I will follow you for the rest of my life because I have trusted my soul to you. Christ is your only hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Scripture says. So how do I do it? How do you do that? Well, By faith, you call on him. We've been talking about faith. You call on him. It's not about earning his favor. It's not about good works versus bad works. This is not about some balancing scale. And so often you have heard it, I have heard it, where people say, well, in the end, I hope my good outweighs my bad. Like God will take our good stuff and he'll put it on the scale and he'll put the bad stuff on a scale and whichever way the scale tips, will determine your destiny. Thank God there'll be no scale. What you don't want, the scales of justice, you've seen those? You don't want the scales of justice. No, what you want is the mercy of God. You want the mercy of God. You want to say, God, look, the scale, I know what the scale would say, because in your best day, the Bible says your heart is deceitfully wicked. I don't want the scales, Lord. (laughs) I want the mercy. And I can one day stand before him and say, it is grace through faith alone, in Christ alone, that causes me to be able to stand in the presence of God for eternity. Call on him today. It's about confessing him with your mouth. Did you know the Bible said he that confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart that God has raised him from the dead shall be saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what calling on the name of the Lord is about? It's about expressing faith in what he's already done for you. He's already paid for your sins. But you call on him, that's an act of faith. Well, he told me if I called on him, he would do something. He told me that. So I'm doing that, and he will, he will be faithful to his promise. Abraham said, God told me to do this. I'm doing this, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The same is true for us. Will you today call on him? Would you bow your head, close your eyes? No one's looking about in this place. Father, thank you that you, you don't, listen, you're not, you're, you're not there to try to bring justice to us. You've already brought justice to our sins on the cross. But Father, you are there extending to us the free gift of life to all who will receive it. I pray for those who may be watching or listening in this live audience who aren't sure if they've ever put their trust in you that today they would call on you. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Father, I pray for any listening to my voice that have never trusted you, that today will be that day they'll call upon you. 
for any that are not sure that they've ever done that, that you'll cause them to take that next step and say, I'm going to get sure, I'm going to make sure, I, no more doubts, no more wandering around. Then, Father, there's some in this place and some listening by media that have forgotten to get up and say, Lord, I thank you that I'm saved. I will follow you for the rest of my life. I pray that today they'll reaffirm that confession in their heart and to you. Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. I have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. These are urgent days. Lord, help us to get it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me for our invitation before we're gone? I want to invite, I'll be here. Staff will be on the aisles. I want to invite you. Maybe there's a decision for you to make. Maybe it is that you need to, you've prayed that prayer to call on Him. And, and I want to invite you to come down. And we'll take it from there. We're not going to embarrass you. But I, I just invite you to come and say, I'm making this decision to follow Christ. I've, I've called on Him to be my Savior. I've got it sure. I've got it. Or maybe you need to be baptized. You've never, we won't do it today, but we'll schedule a time for you to be baptized. It'll work for you. Maybe you've never really done that. You ought to do that to obey Christ. And maybe you just say, I need a church home. I need a church family. And yes, you do. If you don't have one, you need one. You say, why, why is that? Because the family needs to know that they can count on you and you need to know uh, that you can count on them. So you belong. It's belonging. A Christian without a church home is an orphan. Don't be an orphan. Come and connect with the family of God here. Come and pray around this altar. Come and bow your knee. I've told you so many times, but I, I say it again. There's no posture more important than a bowed knee before God. You're praying for someone. Maybe you're praying for someone's salvation. Some decision that you've got to make or some direction that you've got to take. Whatever it is, come and use this altar. Don't miss the opportunity. As Brother Aaron leads us as we sing. You slip out. Balcony, ground floor. You come on.